got our some device looking at the scriptures with us. Um, we're in Luke chapter 16. Um, um, we we preach just kind of chapter by chapter through books. Um, we do that we do that intentionally, um, and, and and sometimes it's it's a good good reminder for us because it, it forces us to passages we want to only really preach. Um, and and honestly. Um, Dean and I were talk, talking this morning. There's a lot of pastors who would say they would they would love Luke 15 and then jump to Luke Luke 17 right? and leave sticking out because it's it, it's the pulls are less clear. The teaching is hard, it's uncomfortable, um, and yet it, it is good for all all of including myself self to wrestle um, this week even with continued hard passage in, in Luke 16. So brief, which is a little bit of recap as we're. We're becoming on the, the back half of Luke, um, that Luke has been written to give us this order account of the, the life, the death, the resurrection, Jesus, and, and then into the generation of the church. It began with John the Baptist, and then walked through that into Luke's sequel, which is Acts. Um, we saw in Luke 15, a couple weeks, weeks ago, some of the more familiar um, the lost coin, the sheep, and the prodigal son. Then into um, parable last, it was a little more confusing, um, and, and dealt with with money ultimately, right? And the reminder that we can't serve both God and that it's meant meant to be cool, right? That, that is used for the kingdom. Um, and 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 so the, what is happening at this point in in Luke is that Jesus is really showing us, hey, there are two different paths, and you can't can't walk both. You are either either being on the path path that's on me, me that is following me, that is a part of the kingdom, or you are, you are walking on a path that's in this world, and you need to repent and leave it. So we're going to begin um, in verse 14 this week of Luke 16. The Pharisees, who were lovers of me, heard all these things and ridiculed him. And he said that to you are those who just justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way in it. But it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away for one dot of the law become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. All right, so, all right, so this passage in those, in those five short verses are going to have a bridge, right? right? Bridge from the first, first parable we had last, last week in Luke 16 to the second parable that we'll put we'll on next week, right? And there is tension building. You can, you can imagine this point when we end up, up at the cross, right? Because Jesus is continuing to expose idol and, and, and things that we are, we are holding on to other God, right? That, that He is peeling our fingers off of things. And so for the religious to continually be called onto the, the carpet, right? Right? you can understand why they're like, this guy to go. We can't silence him, then we'll kill him. There is tension, and we feel some of it. As, as I want us, want us to remember that last week in, in 16, it ends with this. No servant can serve two masters. For he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and money. 
and we and we began chapter 15 right with this now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him meaning Jesus and the Pharisees and the, and the scribes grumbled saying this man receives and eats with him so that's the issue issue right that they're seeing him do, do things that they're uncomfortable with that they, they don't like and then he's teaching in a manner that is exposing their own issues and how far they actually actually are from God, from God, they're questioning His authority. Whether anyone should be following it or listen to it, and they go as far as to ridicule Him. Right, the Pharisees in verse fourteen, lovers of money, heard these things, and they and they ridicule Him. This is like like your no no scoffing, being like being like demonstrative in it. You're not just mind think thinking whatever. You are, you are making sure everyone in the room knows. I disagree, disagree with this. Like I am, I'm scoffing. I am ridiculing. There's, like, you're out in Jesus. This is kind of idea here, and they're showing it with both their language and their body language. Did you notice how Luke phrased it? They were lovers of money. The idea here is they're friend, friends. But remember last week, week in verse nine, what is one of the things that Jesus tells us to do with our finances? He says, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of your under unrighteous wealth. This just means means your worldly good. Right? That you're building relationships, you're being generous, you're friends, you're using money as the tool that it's meant to be. Because ultimately, you're going to die, or Jesus is going to return, and it's no longer going to have any value. So he says, you use this tool that we have in the world for relationships. And then, and then he says in verse 14, Pharisees had not use of it as a tool for relationships, they actually became friends' money itself. Right? It's kind of a play on words here, showing us that they were, were greedy. Pharisees were not known for being wealthy people. Right? right? It's a reminder to us that we, we don't have a lot. The Sadducees were known for their wealth. The Pharisees weren't. And yet he's saying you don't have to have a lot to be greedy. That you can be a lover of money and be greedy even when you, do, you don't have much at all. Because it shows where where your heart and what your heart heart is pursuing. And then verse sixteen. So Jesus said to him, "You are those who justify yourselves, men, but God knows you. For what exalted among men, men an abomination and in the sight of God." He's saying, "Listen, you have lived, lived to make sure the law is always." Making sure that you look good and look right in front of others. others. And what you care about is the, is the approval of others, that you want them, them to applaud and to see you in a certain manner. He said, but the way you're living is actually an abomination to God. And, and the idea here is a stench, like, like that it, it reeks. Right? And just as, as they turned their noses right toward Jesus, as they ridiculed and scoffed at him, what, what, what Jesus is saying. God's nose is turned at your behavior, of your heart, heart, actions, of your attitude. That you're living in such a way that is more concerned about others in this, in this life, plotting and thinking of you than God himself. And the way you're living right now is not on a path to God. It's on a path to separation, to abomination. Strong words from Jesus. It's right, right. Imagine now they've been, they've been exposed to money. They're being exposed to the law. Jesus speaking directly to them, saying an abomination to God. 
that now you, you begin to wonder how to end up at the cross. These, these are the conversations, the type of teachings that lead, lead to the cross. And so what Jesus is going to do now in verses 16 and 17 is he's going to start to build an argument from why he has authority to teach and to speak this way. Because that's, that's really what's challenging. They're saying, saying, listen, he's eating with sinners, not keeping our, 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 our ceremonial law. Logs. He's not an authority. Jesus is just going to show, I am, am that authority. Look at verse 16. The law and the prophets, it's basically short, shorthand for the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament scriptures were until John, meaning John the, John the Baptist. Since then, the news of the kingdom is preached. All right, so we... We remember John is actually the one who kicks Luke off, right? By the announcement of his birth, right? It's, it's him, him coming as forerunner of Messiah. And as he steps in, he is the last of the Old Testament prophets. The last that's coming and saying, the Messiah is going to come, the kingdom is going to come. And he preached, right? The Old Testament repentance and, and hope and expectation. And so John actually gets to be the, the, the end of the Old Testament era, and he gets to live into the kingdom come to, coming to, coming to in Jesus. Right? But he, he is pre- it is going to come. Jesus is actually the, the fulfillment of it. And so John the Baptist is the bridge here of the Old Testament into the New Testament. The last of the, of the old way. And the Pharisees accusing Jesus here of, of saying, you don't actually care about the law at all. You, you don't care about our law, our rules, our regulations at all. But Jesus, Jesus is stuck. The law, the law and the prophet until John, John, right? Until then, then, since then. Because I'm on the scene. What has happened? The good, good news of the kingdom of God is preached. Right? He's saying it's changed now. It's no longer the, longer the of it coming. I mean, the fulfillment of it is, is actually here. We're living, living in a transition stage, is just what he's telling. Thing in why we've talked about the, the new wine skin. skin right? The old wine and the new wine. Here's what, they, what they, he's written to. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 1. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took their hand to bring them to the land of Egypt, the covenant that they broke, I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write in hearts, and I will their God, and they shall be in my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother say, Know the Lord. They will all know me. From the least greatest, declares the Lord. And I will forgive the witty. Now are their sins no more. The Old Testament has been pushing, hoping, expecting for this covenant, this thing to happen. And what Jesus is telling the Pharisees is, John, the end, the last one who say, let's, let's look for hope in it, is now here. The kingdom is breaking, breaking. I am here. It's happening, and it's, it's, it's occurring. The kingdom is arriving. It is good news, and I'm restoring storing to the way they should, they should be. So, so here's the conjunction for us. Right? When we talk about Old Testament law, this is really what, really what they're going to push on Jesus. 
ultimate law could be divided into three categories. Right? There's ceremonial law. Right? That's, that was where we'd get, we'd get sacrificial law. But don't you, we're not, not sacrifices. Why? Because this is ceremonial law. Those things that were shadows. Right? Giving us a, a taste, a glimpse of what was coming. And Jesus gives us eyes to see the shadows, right? He is the fullness and the completion of He was, was the last sacrifice and for all. That's why we don't, don't have sacrifice anymore, right? The cleanness things, we're seeing Jesus now is saying, no, I'm coming and I'm going I'm to make clean, not just bodily, right, but spiritually. Those ceremonial laws have been, been fulfilled completely and told, told Jesus, and it's why we don't follow them this day. Second category of law in the Old Testament were the civil laws, right? Because we have to remember that that Israel was a nation. It was had a government nation interact their nations, and so they had civil laws that that did them that God had given in order they would be on display to the world of others to say, listen, look at what God God is amongst these people. But this we don't belong to a nation. We to a kingdom. The kingdom of God has come, drawing folks from all, all over the world, from every tongue, every tribe, and every place, place corner, to get together in universal soul. Right? The big C church that will die in heaven, heaven, they're the kingdom of God. But because we don't have order around us, longer a nation, we don't need civil laws. We have the ceremonial laws, the civil laws, the third category of law, moral laws. Right? Don't kill, don't steal, things like this. Those laws are all affirmed and, re- and repeated, right? In the New Testament, that Jesus comes and says, Yes, we're going to continue to demand this living and holy. And it be seen through the life, the death, the resurrection, and the work of Jesus. And so, as he is laying out what the law looks, he's saying, listen, I'm not, I'm not getting rid of the law. I'm fulfillment of the law. I'm going to understand the law better because of my life and my death and my resurrection. Look at verse 17. He's, he's actually easier for heaven and earth. He's like, it's easier for creation not, not to exist than it would the law to go away. Why? Because it had been spoken by. It had been given by him to point us to Him, to reveal need and to see, see Him right. So Jesus is up and affirming the law, but is also still telling that things have shifted, things are different. And so, and so He briefly then gives kind of a case study from everyday life in that verse 18. So He said, Everyone who divorces wife and marries another, it's adultery, adultery, Marries a woman, divorces from her husband, and commits adultery. Right? Hard teaching. Because we, right, we know so many of us are affected by divorce. And so, what is Jesus getting at? Why is he talking about this kind of practical situation? Now, listen, this is one verse of Scripture about marriage. It would be like if we only took, took our teaching on money. 16. We have, we have to see the context of the, the rest of Scripture. Scripture speaks about marriage um, in, in multiple places. So we're only seeing kind of a principle here that he's trying to drive in regards to the law. We're not going to get a full-fledged teaching marriage this morning, but we, but we do hit on a couple things. 
During this era, the rabbis, the Jewish leaders, had developed two schools of thought regarding divorce. Okay? The first was this. If there wasn't adultery, there is no divorce. Right? Taking it from Deuteron- Deuteronomy 24. Second school of thought emerged. You want a divorce, get a divorce. Whatever you want. She burns your food, divorce her. Sir. She develops, develops wrinkles, divorce her. Right? You don't, you don't like to talk to you, you divorce her. In, the, in those two schools of thought, that it was everything goes, or almost nothing, nothing goes. And so Jesus now is being asked, hey, Jesus, do you even care about the law? Like, what's going on here? What? And he basically is telling, what do I think about, think about the law? Let me tell you what I think about the law. And he does go to, De- to Deuteronomy 24. He goes back to the original intent. He goes back to creation, right? Right? And he, and he gives, gives this team that even Deuteronomy 4 would kind of be, be scratching its head at. And he says, right, marriage is permanent. Why is he, is he talking in this, this a strong way? Is in Genesis 1 and 2. God gives away the, way the first bride, first husband. Right? He has brought them together. And then Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, the marriage itself is this picture, this this symbol of of the way that God loves His bride, His bride, people, the church. And so we have to think through: Does God love His bride? What's well, demonstrated? And he went to the cross. He doesn't just say, "I love you." He showed His love, demonstrated His right. His love is transformative. We're not the same. We meet God. He changes us and transforms us. His love for us is permanent. permanent. Right? We're, we're secure in. Not, not based on our actions, but based on His. Not, not based on our character, but based, but based on His. Right? So His marriage to us, spiritually, is, is it's transformative, and it's per- permanent. And Paul says marriage is, is a mystery because it's the gospel display. It's a point to show the world of how God loves people. And so it's meant that Christian marriage then would be demonstrative. It would be transformative. And it, would, and it would be permanent. Where the world would say, say things hard and you build. Right? Like the, we, we get to get to a point where our culture is serious. Whatever you want a divorce for, get a divorce. Jesus said, no, 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 what was your intent? But, but to point to the character of God. But to point us to His heart and His meaning for marriage. Now listen, it's the gospel on display. But we've, in a broken world, in Genesis 3, rebellion. Adam and Eve are removed from the garden. Death enters the world. Difficulty, see, and childbearing happens. Having to work by the sweat of brow happens. Disease enters. Bad weather enters. Relationships enter. And so this morning, we are all affected by this. We can look and go, we know what the original intent is, but this life is hard. Things are, are, are difficult. We have baggage, and we have, we have hardships, and we have, we have disease and tragedy, and all of these things emerge. And so Scripture then in Matthew 5 and 1 Corinthians 7 begins a couple of, of, of 
understands, right, because of this world. If there's a tree, a faithfulness in a marriage, okay, divorce is permissible. When 1 Corinthians 7 will say, then there's abandonment in a right? Leaves. And, and in, in abandonment, would also look at abuse, right? Because you're abandoning vows in that, in that regard, right? And we would say, say this divorce is permissible. And it, it puts a really tight boundary on that. It's not because you're just not happy anymore, right? It's not just because you've fallen out of love or they're not, not who you thought were, right? Like, like it's bringing us back to this intent that marriage is meant to be a display to the world, world, but we live broken world, world, hard heart, hearts, right? And so Jesus is saying, you know what I think about the law? I think y'all give to me out, is what he's saying to the Pharisees. Look at what God's intent was for it. I'm going to hold to the law. I'm not going to hold to it. Up to it. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to empower and transform heart. Not looking. Uh, he's saying, I'm not here to cancel the law. I'm going to give you the desire to obey it. How different. He's not saying, like, just come and meet the requirement that people look at you and see and applaud you. He's like, I'm going to give you the heart to actually want to obey it. To obey it. I'm not looking to cancel it. I'm looking to fulfill it. We see this. This how he t- he tells us, right? It's not. Right? It's not just don't kill. It's don't be an- angry. If you're angry, right, that you've already already killed, you've already murdered. What's saying? He's taking it from just our outward actions into our hearts. You'll hear said you shouldn't commit commit adultery. Saying if if you lust for a woman, you've you've committed adultery. Taking it from the outside out, which we kind of control the narrative and have people look at us really. And he's and he's getting it in for heart. He's saying your heart and your actions. The Pharisees are using the law for their advancement, the approval of others, and they have become proud. And God abhors it. It's an, it's an abomination. He turns his nose at that level of pride. He ends Luke saying, telling a parable of someone who sit too late. That's where we're going to go next week. They're going to get too late. They're going to understand. Who, who God is and what He expects, too late. And so He's warning the, the Pharisees, don't miss it. Right now, now you think path leads to God, it doesn't. You are living by the values and the culture of this world, and it is a, walking you away from God. You need to follow the values of His kingdom. Don't, it's not too late, late for you. Don't miss it. And He is telling them and the disciples, listen, if you miss me, you don't get God. Right? If you want the Father, it, it goes to me. And for unreliable guides and interpreters, he, he shows his authority and his, his value. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the king is preached. Right? It is good news and restoration. It is, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of law to become void. Which brings us finally to the second half of verse 16. This odd phrase. And everyone forces his, his way into it. He's, it's talking about the kingdom. And commentators and interpreters struggle, struggle to translate the language here. If 
then the good news of the kingdom kingdom reached. And then what happened? Is it people trying to force the kingdom right out the sword? Is folks trying to like what is happening? Ultimately, what is happening happening here is he's saying it's why I continue to compel you. Why I continue continue to woo and invite you and constantly press upon you the decision to be made. I'm pressing the kingdom on you that you would respond. I'm urging you and inviting you. All we read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15 to begin again. I want you to hear again. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, told, said, This man receives and eats them. They're saying there's a divide. And Jesus says, No, no, no. Come for all. I've come for the weak and the sick and the sinner and the moralized and the one who does like they belong to the sick. I've come for them and I'm pressing up you. Join kingdom. Be a part of what the king kingdom is doing. Hear the good news of restoration. That no matter how far you've gone, there is hope and, and peace to be restored, redeemed, and brought back in. As an adopted son or daughter of the king. What he's show, showing is, listen, there are two paths. In Pharisee, you think your path is to heaven, and it doesn't. It doesn't. It leads to God, and it, and it doesn't. You were doing some, something built yourself rather than on me, and I'm impressing upon you consistently and warning you constantly you're on the wrong path. It is, I'm here for all, marginalized. And so what, is, so what is this doing? He's giving us eyes to see that we can't live this way. Right? Like we aren't living the way that He would demand ask us. We cannot keep the holiness and the righteousness that He's called, called us to. We can't do it with, with our We fail. We do it in our relationships. We fail. Well, we can't do it in our morality. We fail. And in that, it should be in, begin to bring some things of maybe despair. Here, how do we do this? Do this even if we're trying, even if we're, even if we're being real. We can't. We keep keep perfect standard. He's telling us this: that the law was revealing to you your need before God, and that you can't obtain. And, and in that, we despair, and as we, we, we see our need. Church, would we, we be reminded this morning that God knows your heart? Right? That's what he tells the Pharisees. God knows your heart. And so if you, if you have fooled everyone in this room, if you, if you have fooled everyone in your life, if no, no one knows the depth and the, and the depravity of your heart, God said, I, I see it. I know. That we are in need. And then, as we see that we can't accomplish it, as that we have a desperate need, that we would receive the good news of kingdom that is coming to bear upon us. The hope and peace and joy and grace available. It is good news that Jesus says, what you, you haven't done, I have. What you haven't kept, I, I have. Where you failed the law, kept it. You did not please God, I have. I have done all that you could not do. 
I live a life you were meant to live and couldn't, but I've done it. And now, where the wrath, wrath of God was poured out on, on you, your sin and your rebellion, I'm going to step in your place. But it's not crushed me forever. And he walks out of the grave, having defeated our enemies, and Satan, and, and now follow me, me to the far where you belong. You will be adopted sons and given a seat at the table with your, with your good father who longs to be reconciled with you forever. So follow, follow me. Like that is the good, good news of the kingdom. That it, that it, we have watched it, and there's hope. But it's not by our hand, our effort, or our, our merit. It's by Jesus. And the Pharisees are like, yeah. We like our, like our way. And he says, well, your, your way will end up, God. Because of whores is what you're doing. It's an abomination to him. Because you're dependent depend on yourself and your righteousness and in your laws and your religion. And you, and you actually have gained the approval of others and you feel justified in it. But God is not justified. Because whether we get the approval of others, the applause of others ever in our life, if we have the justification of God, God, all that we need. And so though the we can, can feel the weight of sin, and we can feel the heaviness of sin. And what is Jesus calling us to? Whenever we find that our relationships or, our, or any of those things don't please God in the way that we've done it, we repent. Recognize, God, God, I have sinned against you. And I repent of it. I don't want to live that way anymore. I want you. you. And we walk, walk then in obedience to the beauty of the gospel, Jesus actually is the one that empowers us and he, and he equips us to do it. He gives the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. He gives us, gives us and illuminates it for, for us to walk in and follow. He gives us one another to arms as, as the church. Say, when you're weak, help. He gives us the word of God that's alive and work to maneuver into our hearts and our, and our curses of our thoughts and our thoughts and our he's to show, show us the path of that we have, have Jesus access to Him in prayer. So we repent. We trust Him. Church, church, what we don't do is we don't hide hide from Him. We harden our hearts and say, and say I, I, don't, I don't want people to know, so I got it. That is a pharisaical attitude. We don't go on sinning, believing it's okay because God forgives me. That's cheap grace. Costly. Because Jesus crucified so you didn't have to. Was beaten that you don't have to be. Separated from the Father so that you don't have to be. Was crushed so that you don't have to be. It is costly. question is we've talked about, talked about me, so we've talked about, about relationships, right? right? Is what are we, are we on? Are we in money as thing that we want above all, which makes it a God for us? Or is it, or is it the tool that we use for, for His glory? Right? Look at our relationships as it. Look at how do, what, what do I, I get out alone? What shows is that everything in our life has a rightful place. But it's a rightful, rightful based on what God says or does about it. Not what we say about it. But they all have a, have a purpose to fill money, marriage, 
parenting, relationships, all these things have a proper place and purpose, but in the light of Jesus. So, I mean, if your marriage, maybe it really is, that did not save you. It does. It does. And if your marriage has not been that, it is not the unpardonable, unforgivable sin. Would we not be righteous this morning because marriage, right, looks on paper better? Would we not condemn ourselves and walk away with guilt this morning because our marriage? Or bending, or warping, right? Any of those those things? Those are not what saves. Jesus is. So there's grace and there is mercy and there is forgiveness. And His kindness leads us to repentance and His grace outruns our sin. And so this morning we can stand before Jesus as His. Or we can stand in self-righteousness. And we know that wrath will come. And as, and as long as you're breathing, there's opportunity to And so we're going to in service this, this morning by having an opportunity, opportunity to worship, seeing to our King that we should rejoice in the grace that has been poured out, that we do not marry, that we do not serve, but has been, has been given free. And if you need someone to talk to, pray with, you can confess. The folks in the back, back room to do that. If you need to sit and let the Spirit minister to you this morning, you can do that. If you want to stand and sing to your, to your King, you can do that. Someone in the room that you need to make a relationship, you can move and have that conversation. But also the Lord's Supper, Supper is set up in three locations. Well, we remember the morning that we have been bought with a cross. It was not our body that was broken. It was not, not our blood that was shed. It was, it was Jesus's. And they're at peace with this morning, not because of anything we have done by our hands, but because of Jesus. And so we take that cup and we take that bread. We remember and we celebrate grace. And it was done by Jesus for us. Because the kingdom has come. And we all have an opportunity for that. He calls and woos and impresses upon us. Come to come to this. Let's pray. Father, this morning, would you Allow your word, your spirit, being in our ear, ear, in our mind, our thought, our heart. God, would the lie of the enemy that would look condemned, destroyed, to lie, to steal, to hurt, be silenced? God, would he be reminded to put the key darkness to open, open shame? And that what is true you've said about us. We were undeserving, but you had as sons and daughters at the table. You are our Father, and you rejoice light in us. So, so Father, would we celebrate an undeserved grace and undeserved mercy? Would we celebrate that you came for us? Yes, you call us to holiness, but that you, nothing that you lived or, or done and to equip us. You give us one and one another. You give us your word. You give us your promises. And you give us your spirit. God, you give us prayer. prayer. We move and minister this morning. 
that are open to you, to hearts that need breaking, that are hard to you, would you move your for our good? Would we believe that that is good? Is good. In Jesus' name.